podcast ain't played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter. Richard Johnson, tell everyone where they can find you. RJ underscore writes. You know where I'm at, baby. Uh, today, we got a special guest. Richard, tell everyone who we found on the other side of the fence, proverbially, in this uh in this media landscape for coaching searches, we found someone who knows way more than we do about this stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the dark web, uh, the, the dark side of coaching searches. Uh, we are going to do a little, uh, a little special interview here today with Chad Chatlos. Uh, he works for venture partners and is, he works for a search firm. He is when someone says the search firm, he is the search firm, <laughs> uh, recently was part of the search that ended up placing Chris Kleiman at Kansas state to replace Bill Snyder. Um, um, and, and I think he is going to be really illuminating for y'all to kind of cut through some of the things that you may think that you know. Um, even, I mean, you know, we'll come on after this and kind of let you guys know. There's some things that, that he blew up that I didn't even really know or that, that were illuminating for me to hear about. Um, so I think it's it's going to be really cool if you care about kind of the in- intricacies of how coaches get from point A to point B, school one, to their future school uh, I, I think it's a really important listen because one of the things that we didn't want to do here and just to kind of bring you inside the curtain is is this isn't an interview that's like skeptical of search firms or anything like that because search firms are here to stay. I mean, they're they're in the walls at this point. Um, and, and Chad will kind of get into that and kind of get into how search firms became integral in the process, not just ancillary. And so I think um, what we're really trying to do here is is just kind of treat you guys as our audience and as adults and kind of understand that, hey, like this is part and parcel to the deal. And 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 with that being said, uh, we think you really enjoy this. Uh, keep in mind, he did call in, so it's a little bit of phone audio. We sound crystal clear as always. but Look, we're not uh, shut did. down full cast. We have some semblance oh, of, of hi-fi audio. Lord, no. All right. Um, at Banner Society on Instagram and Twitter. Again, this is podcast ain't played nobody. And this is Chad Chatlos. Uh, Chad Chatlos, my name is uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. But for the purpose of this interview, let's just consider me to be a very, very beleaguered athletic director. OK, I just fired my head football coach. Um, this is going to be as as an athletic director, my first hire for my football program. So we're talking power five. All of the eyes are on me, okay? So I have to get this right. Now, I've got a short list of head coaches because I watch college football, right? I think I know what I'm doing. I've met college coaches before. I've worked with them. So I've got a short list of guys I think I like, right? But this is the single biggest decision of my career. This is going to inform not only the future of the university I work at, but my career as well, and really any kind of legacy that I have professionally. So I have to get this right. Why am I talking to you? What is it that you're going to do for me? And how are you going to make me feel better about making this decision? Yeah, well, I mean, you summarized it well. It is a big decision. And the amount of people it affects, the amount of stakeholders, um, the football program or the basketball program at, at elite university, how it affects morale, admissions, revenue, um, it's a huge decision. Uh, it's a front porch. People say it's a front porch of, of a lot of these colleges. And you just, you've seen at Alabama and Clemson over the years how admissions out of state have gone up through football success and what it can really do for the university from a revenue standpoint, from a, from a marketing and, and branding standpoint. So it's a huge decision. It's not just about wins and losses. And then the other piece that I would you know, urge you to consider and where we can be helpful too is the visibility of the student athlete experience now and, and their well-being. Um, unfortunately, you know, we all saw what happened in Maryland, the death of a football player. Um, you know, there's been so many resources allocated now. The the football so when I was playing, you know, 25 years ago. Now that there's nutrition, there's uh, psychologists, there's strength and conditioning and training uh, improvements and innovations. So everyone is investing in the student athlete as they should be. Uh, training, treatment, mental health, and nutrition, um, you're bringing in the, the steward of that program. So you're going to go out and recruit the next head football coach. And not only is it financially a huge uh, undertaking, I mean, you're talking about if Power Five, you know, average of five year deals, um, you know, three, four, five million dollars a year guaranteed. Uh, at different levels, some are 70%, 75%, some are 100% guaranteed. 
you're talking about playing coordinators to come and give them multiple year guaranteed deals. And oh, by the way, if you're in this position, you probably have fired someone and are paying them and their coordinators to not coach anymore. So you're talking about 30, 40, 50 million dollars worth of commitments you're about ready to make. You know, why I'm here to help you and what I can do for you is just be another member of your team. I mean, you're you're all hands on deck for this search. You're you're probably involving your deputy AD, your SWA, you might have someone else on your search committee, uh, you know, a prominent donor, another stakeholder. I'm just another asset for you that can do a lot of things behind the scenes. Uh, I have relationships that you can tap into that are not only for uh, with the agents of these coaches, but also, you know, I've developed personal relationships with many of these coaches. I've gone to their practices. I've watched them recruit. I've spoken to them at coaching conventions. I know, I know their family situation. I know their background. I know their personality. So, you know, it's just, it's just like anything. Anytime you make a big investment and do something, you want to partner with someone who lives this every day. Um, and, and that's what we do. Every year, 365 days a year, we're, we're building relationships within, in this case, the football community. Uh, and we're here to help you navigate, which can be a very tricky process. I and mean, I haven't even talked about the visibility of a search. I mean, you've seen right now just the amount of media attention um, that the current open searches are getting. Every day, Twitter, you know, social media, national news, printed, um, reporters, you know, what is this school going to do? Who are they looking at? Rumors. Um, so it's a lot to navigate, certainly for one person. You know, I, I get it a lot where people say, oh, why would a, an athletic director hire a search firm? Isn't it their job to hire the coach? Well, it is. It is their job, and it still is their job. They're not delegating that responsibility. What they're doing is saying, you know, I, this is a big-time decision for all the reasons that I just laid out to you. You know, I'm going to get all hands on deck with people who have experience and know the market and understand how to navigate this this process. So that's why you would – that's why you would use me, and that's those are some of the things that I would do to help you. Right. But, uh, Chad, what is it about your background that should kind of make me trust you to make this decision? How is it that you've developed these contacts throughout your career to kind of land yourself at this spot right now where you're at? Uh, you know, for me, I can only speak on me personally. I mean, there's certainly firms that have different backgrounds and paths. Um, I, I played at the Naval Academy uh, four years. I was a defensive captain my senior year. I GA coached for a year. Um, so I've been around, you know, recruiting, working with coaches. And unfortunately, I had four defensive coordinators in four years, so I, I've been exposed to different styles of leadership and philosophies, game planning, strategy. Um, so you know, I, I, and I loved it, and and I always knew after my military service, which I did six and a half years in the Marine Corps, that I'd eventually want to come back to do something in college athletics. Um, you know, I ended up taking a path where I worked in professional sports for years, but was fortunate enough to get recruited over to uh, Corn Ferry, one of the leading search firms, and I learned the business there about seven years ago um, and, you know, been developing relationships with athletic directors and coaches since then. Now, I'll tell you, as a differentiator for me, kind of to answer your question, is having played the game and coached the game, uh, I can relate to these guys. Um, they know they know that I know what I'm talking about. They know the experience of playing football at the academy, certainly the discipline, the time management, the integrity piece of, of going through the academy and then being a Marine Corps officer. I think those are the things that I seem to hear when, when, when athletic directors um, or sometimes when we're doing an AD search, if a president or chancellor engage, they, they like to see that integrity and character piece and service, certainly service to the country and then having played the sport at a high level. Um, you know, that's coaches feel comfortable with me when I when I meet new coaches and and I do a lot of due diligence throughout the year I I'm I'm, I'm working with agents and I'm I'm on my time going to uh, meet with coaches that the agents have wanted us to meet with and sometimes I'm doing leadership symposium with coaches so it's just like anything you prepare you know 52 weeks a year for that one or two weeks where you get called in on the search but uh, I found that building authentic relationships with these coaches going to their practices watching them recruit watching them develop student-athletes, that's the best way for me to be an asset for the athletic directors that hire me. I mean, anybody, an athletic director could call anybody, call the agent and say, what do you, I, I've heard good things about this coach, you know, tell me tell me what I need to know about him. And the agent is obviously going to have, have a bias and, and tell you what you want to hear about this coach and what they want you to know. But, you know, we, we don't have a bias. We're out there. We're, we know how they treat their peers, what they what their reputation is on the recruiting trail, um, you know, 
how they, how they treat their student athletes uh, on and off the field. So it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to be ready for these one, two, three weeks a year when you're doing a search. So you know, back to answering your question, you you would hire me because I've I've done the work. I've I've lived it as a student athlete. I've played football, and I've also t- taken the time to build relationships with the current co- coaches out there. And I know. Um, a lot of things about them that would help you educate you in, in, in making your decision. Is football expertise rare with a lot of the, the people that conduct these searches? Um, because I think a lot of former ADs and such are in the search firm world, but they didn't necessarily play, they didn't necessarily coach. Is the fact that you can say, I think this guy can actually coach ball, uh, giving a recommendation or something like that, is that rare for you? I mean, we have a few uh, you know, search firms were kind of born out of the uh, um, former AD, former coach model that have, have, have gone into the consulting world. Uh, there are some firms out there now that don't have that experience that came more from the business world of search. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it's not uh, – I'm not the only one, but uh, I would tell you it, it's rare um, to have former you know players and, and athletes. I would say it's more former ADs and coaches. But uh, I think it certainly helps. It really does give credibility. Now, it, it, I didn't play a year ago or even five years ago, so it's not like a lot of these coaches understand it. But I think what gets more um, more bang for the buck for me from a reputation standpoint is that time of going through the Naval Academy because it's not just football there. Having to go through the academic regime, the military regime, and then certainly the, the football, I think that kind of gives me a – not an upper hand, but just a, a, a good start with these coaches as I'm as I meet them and I'm introduced to them. Uh, Chad, you you mentioned that there was a sort of an arrival of the business model between ads and ex coaches. When did search firms sort of break through? Because we sort of we feel like they're ubiquitous now, especially when major jobs come open. When is there a moment in which the search firm concept really takes hold for major college jobs? Oh, I would tell you probably in the last. You know, maybe 15 to 20 years ago, it was being used, but here and there, I would say over the last, you know, eight to 10 years, it's really uh, this pace of use of search firms has stepped up. And even over the last two or three years, it's almost now um, uh, understood or, you know, expected that if you go through a major search, whether that be an athletic director, a head football or basketball coach, you know, I would say 90% of the time, people are going to use a search firm and again it's not be, it's not some people go come back to well is it that hard to identify the candidates no you know a lot of times it's not but what can be difficult is navigating agents buyouts contracts um, if you're if you not sure you're going to make a move on your coach getting in there anonymously and asking questions and protecting yourself uh, the media uh, side of it so uh, you know, I, I think over the last two or three years, it's almost become the norm as opposed to the exception. Um, but you can, it has predated back to, you know, 15, 20 years. There, there have been, you know, presidents and chancellors that use them for ADs and ADs have used them for football coaches. But right now it's because of the visibility and the pressure and the eyes on everything, uh, you, you start seeing more use. So it's it's fair to say that they sort of arrive as a function of the higher stakes nature of all of this. It's it's you know you mentioned the the growth of the contracts, the the size of the athletic departments, and then as we talked about earlier, these these become increasingly higher stakes. So is it really just that they're here because they filled a gap as these decisions became bigger and more impactful? Well, I think it's a good point you make there. I mean, you know, let's call it eight to ten years ago. If someone hired a football coach and missed on them, they weren't successful. The financial and social impact, PR, you know, bad press, was was there, but it's nowhere near what it is now. I mean, you're talking. I, I shared numbers with you earlier, but again, ten years ago, a coach, if you fired a coach, maybe you owed him a couple, you know, uh, five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, two million dollars at the worst. Now you see coaches getting paid, you know, twelve million dollars, fifteen million dollars. And guaranteed buyouts. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, the 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 revenue has increased, the visibility, the college football playoff, the networks, the you know SEC network, Big Ten network, now ACC network, which are ge- generating you know millions and millions of revenue for school, has really changed the game too. So now, again, when you miss on a coach and you hire someone either and they fail on the field or they you know fail off the field with a leadership uh, challenge. You're really putting those dollars at risk and that visibility, and especially you know the, the piece I didn't mention is going out to these donors. 
I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an arms race out there as far as facilities. So every day you're out there as the AD trying to raise money from donors. And if you don't have a winning football or basketball program, you're, it's less likely your donors are going to come in their pocket and, and donate to you. So it's there, the, the implications and the, the, the direct ties to how, you know, back to that decision of making sure you bring in the right coach are, are ever-reaching. And that's, that's, again, why we come in and augment that process to make you feel good about sure you have all the information at your fingertips to make the right decision. And that's, that, that brings me to a point where, you know, we don't hire anyone. We don't fire anyone. I mean, there's kind of a misconception out there too, that search firms are the ones placing these coaches and making the decisions. We don't, um, you know, we, we work for the AD in the school and our job is to do the due diligence and get them as all the information that they need and tee them up with the best candidates. And at the end of the day, they'll select and they'll hire what they think is the best fit uh, for their institution. So, um, just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it would sort of help if you kind of roadmapped it out for us kind of as best you can. For a, for a air quotes kind of normal head coaching search, take us through kind of the common tasks and the signposts that you have between kind of being retained by a school and that school actually hiring a coach. Yeah. Um, well, let's take a normal scenario. Let's say, you know, coach gets fired could be at the end of the season or a week or two before the season it's public knowledge ad would reach out and say hey um i'm in the market you know would you can we can we, would you like to partner on the search can we partner on the search so assuming that goes down and you get hired the first thing really is to just is to be quick responding right because this these things go fast and especially if, if if the firing has happened at the end of the season where other people were kind of in the mix at the same time now you're competing for a lot of the same coaches, right? You're, the, the pool is the same for a lot of these schools. So, you know, our initial response would be to get together ASAP with the athletic director and sit down and talk about, you know, why are we in this situation? What's the opportunity? Did Is everything going great and your coach left for a bigger job? Or did you have to fire someone because there, things weren't going great? You know, assess that. Talk to them about what they're looking for. Is it is it a, a, someone who's had for, uh, previous head coaching experience? Do they have more of a lean towards an offensive-minded or defensive-minded head coach? You know, mentors, uh, recruiting footprints, uh, coaching trees. It, there's a million different things you talk to with the athletic director to figure out, hey, what is the job? You know, I, I try to not focus on names. That's the easy thing to do. Um, you know, people will say, oh, this, this guy's available and this guy's available and this school's going to go after this guy, so we've got to hurry up and interview him understand all of that but that's where you can get yourself into trouble if you don't put the time in up front to understand what makes your job unique and the type of coach and fit you know everyone wants to say fit fits fits the important cliche word right well, what does that mean it's different for everyone right so it's it, it, school x the fit is different than school y so spending the time with the athletic director it doesn't take forever it's you know a day or two on campus meeting with the ad and his or her staff figuring out what the job entails and then then going to market, right? And, you know, I believe that the, the job spec and the job opportunity should drive who the candidates are. It shouldn't be the candidates that drive the opportunity. So, um, you know, get get that done quickly. Go to market in the first, you know, week or so. Um, come back with the, the AD with some names. They're, they're, it's, and by the way, you're talking six to eight times a day. This is what I hear. This is what you hear. What do you think about this person? Just kind of getting the list together. Um, getting organized around logistics and timeline. I think the calendar is important, certainly with, um, you know, bowl games. Uh, some coaches will still be coaching either in postseason play or bowl games or pre- pre- preparing for bowl games or championship games in, in the Power Five conferences. So just kind of navigating all that. This kind of goes back to, again, why the search firm. So there's so many different logistics pieces. Uh, and some coaches you might be interested in talking to are already scheduled with other schools. So how do you get it? Uh, ahead of them or right there with them and uh, you know there's different places there's the national football foundation does their annual hall of fame event in new york uh the second week of december every year and typically you have a lot of ad's and coaches there so it's a good time for you to interview four or five six coaches in new york so a lot of schools will, will do that as well so um you know you get that going and all the on all the while this is where the 50 weeks of the year of preparing for this um are helpful so instead of Having to rush and, and figure out who who's got a buyout and who their agent is. We know we know all that stuff already, right? To, fig, to figure out who to do the due diligence on what kind of coach they are, what kind of person they are, and their character. Have they ever had any NCAA recruiting violations? Like we have all that. Sorry, so it's sitting it down, talking to the AD, 
and then really just tiering kind of in order of importance who they want to talk to, when they want to talk to them. Some ADs will want to do a phone conversation for 30 or 40 minutes just to make sure there's a vibe and, and that, that, that it's worth scheduling an in-person interview. Um, so you kind of just kind of restack and re-tier that till you get down to, let's say, three or four, and then you schedule the interviews. And those interviews can happen very quickly, and you can do multiple in one day, and some of them last two to three hours, some of them last six hours, depending on how the interviews go. Um, and at that point, then you've got, and this is where a search firm can really help you too, is to have a pulse. You know, you're, I'll be working with the agents to understand, okay, we like candidate X, Y, and Z. Are they in on any other searches? Are any other schools looking at them? Do we have, are we operating on a timeline where my AD has to make a decision if this person's in or out of the pool because someone else is about ready to offer them a job, right? So you got all that kind of going on right at the same time. Um, and it's our job to kind of steward that process and to keep the AD educated on things that are happening directly with them and, and indirectly with other schools. So all of that happens typically in an eight, you know, eight to ten day window. Sometimes a four to five day window. Um, it's just depending on you know how how much knowledge the AD had previously of that they were going to be in the spot. You got to remember too, like there's going to be ADs this year who have great coaches who had no idea they were going to be looking for a head coach. Um, you know, it could be a guy like uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis, right, where he's kind of been on the, everyone's watch lists. Well, Memphis isn't going to fire Mike Norvell, but he could get pulled up. So, you know, if you're the AD at Memphis, you have to be thinking, hey, I could lose my coach to a, a quote-unquote bigger job, right? So um, you got always got to be prepared. And, and um, you know, everyone talks about ADs having these short lists of candidates in their pocket. That's true, but those lists change so frequently. That's, again, where another search firm could be. Uh, partnering with a search firm could be valuable because we always are kind of keeping up to date on contracts and buyouts and everything. It is a crazy process. And by the way, all those people that are lurking around the lobby at the National Football Foundation uh, dinner and after party, we're, we're amongst that crowd. So you can you can wave <laughs> next time you walk by. Um, I'll see you there, yeah. This, uh, I want to back up for a second and I want to ask you what it, uh, you, you talked about all the different criteria that athletic directors are looking for now when they bring you in. So they have this short list, and you've said, hey, you advise against going necessarily on ranking names, but looking more for traits, right? What is what is necessary for this particular program? What, and maybe there, maybe it's different every time, but what are the things mm-hmm. that you're seeing more of in terms of needs and wants from athletic directors when they come to you? Is it recruiting? Is it offensive style? Obviously, it's a little easier to monitor in the NFL. We see trends a little, they're they're just easier to identify because there's less jobs, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. college, what are ADs asking you for the most frequently? Well, I'll tell you, it's a great question. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's changed even in you know, my time of doing it. Probably first and foremost, um, you know, obviously, listen, it, you want someone who's got a track record of success and winning. That that hasn't changed. But character and integrity are, are right there. Um, I think what you've seen with coaches getting fired for off-the-field things or – the treatment back to the treatment of student athletes or, you know, putting a staff together where maybe there's some bad guys on the staff and it creates a black eye for the school. Um, so character integrity of the person I, I have, I can't tell you how many ADs call and say, Hey, I could be in the, the, the mix, but I don't want anyone with baggage. I don't want anyone with personal baggage, NCAA baggage, you know, anything. So, um, I think that character piece, integrity piece is huge right now. Um, Frequently, it'll be kind of their coaching tree, right? Who who are their mentors? You know, are they a, are they a Mike Leach guy, right? Are they a Mac Brown guy? Are they a Brian Kelly guy? You know, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer. Where who's their who's their tree? Where do they learn under? Um, and then to your point, you know, I think style of play, philosophy, um, is right there. And then player recruitment and development is, is always at the top of the list, right? So it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are if you don't have the players that can run your system. Um, you can't recruit them and, and retain them, you're going to be in trouble. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the lifeblood. Recruiting is certainly the lifeblood of, of all successful college programs right now. That's why you've seen these um, off-the-field support staffs grow at, at college, you know, where it was before, hey, we had a recruiting coordinator, maybe a director of player personnel, and we had a couple, you know, grad assistants. Now these are 20, 25-person shops. You have analysts and recruiting coordinators and student volunteers and graduate assistants and analysts and quality control because the, the successful programs realize that, you know, the, the coaches have limited time to recruit 
and they better be on the right type of kids. So it's these recruiting departments, if you will, kind of like these mini GMs and mini scout scouting departments like the NFL would have um, that do a lot of the due diligence, that, that looking at the tapes, that are following who's recruiting who and the recruiting, you know, the recruiting websites and the, the rankings and all that so that they can, you know, use their coaching staff time wisely and get them on a kid early and make sure they're recruiting the right kids for the right system. And so I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, hope that answered your question, but the, the, that those are probably the leading um, characteristics or traits that I'm getting from ADs. It's character integrity, it's philosophy and coaching tree, and certainly it's the ability to recruit and develop talent. Because that's the other thing, too. I mean, we're gonna, I'll do some searches this year for schools who won't be able to recruit four stars and five stars. They're just, you know, where they're at, their conference, their 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 footprint, they're going to have to get two- and three-star kids and develop them, right? So that, right. that coaching candidate pool might look different than someone who's just an elite recruiter, maybe doesn't develop talent as much. So so that's, those are the kind of things, too, that you have to look at. Well, it's that actually brings us to one of our questions for you. The fact that you mentioned first was character and integrity. Um, w- let me ask you as a follow-up, is that – that being the number one concern, or at least sort of one of the first things that they mentioned to you, do you think that's a byproduct of a transparent media age that we're in where there's so much exposure with social media, or is it something else? And then uh, I want to follow that up by asking you, what what is the process that, that you you have for background checks and vetting in, in all of the non-football sense of the, the actual character, criminal, all of that yep. stuff? Yep, yep, yep. Um, listen, I... I I, I assume in the last 30 or 40, 50 years that a lot, ADs have always cared about bringing in good coaches of quality, integrity, and character. I just think it's been amplified more because certainly a lot of the uh, old school coaching methods are, are no longer in vogue or acceptable. I mean, you can't – who was it uh, earlier this year that um, grabbed the face mask real quickly of, of the player? Oh, uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Sport. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt, right? So I think you know, for me that would have been back in the day – I that would have been nothing, right, So for a practice. So I think, you know, understanding the, the current climate, the, 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 and I went back to what I said earlier, the kind of the treatment and wellness of student-athletes mentally and physically, I think, I think that has certainly enhanced the importance, uh, certainly for the AD, to, to look at character and integrity. Um, you know, the, the penalty for breaking NCAA rules is, is certainly tremendous. You're talking about forfeiting bowls, which bring in a lot of money, scholarships and if you lose scholarships your performance is going to go down and which affects recruiting which affects money which affects bowls so you know the the the, the penalty for not bringing in a good person who runs a clean program the penalties are so substantial that you you have to make it a top priority so i think that would be my first answer to that and then you know how do we do it there's two ways when people say hey how do you vet or background uh again 52 weeks a year, I'm, we're vetting these guys. I'm out, I'm out looking at practices. I'm, I'm meeting people. I'm building relationships. And I, it's not for a particular job yet, right? It may be. I might know what's coming down the line next year. And uh, I've got a couple people that might be a good fit there. So I'm starting to do my uh, work a little early. But, you know, it's usually you find out about people more when there isn't a job involved, right? So you're talking to them. You're getting to know who they are. It's important to them, their character, their family, their, their, their moral uh, morality and their views. Um, so you're kind of doing that. But then I also enlist a third party to do more uh, professional firm to do more of that uh, background check, you know, uh, financial, domestic, uh, criminal uh, education verification. You know, remember, and this goes back to your earlier question, too, of, you know, when it really changed for a lot of people to use firms. You remember the George O'Leary thing, obviously, and and, and the, the education verification that fell through. So, you know, that's kind of where background checks started with, hey, did this person go to the school and did they graduate? And now it's really expanded to, like, even in our background checks, we, we screen all social media. So these coaches you know, are using, obviously, Twitter and other social media platforms to recruit kids. You know, what are they liking? What are they retweeting? What are they putting out on their posts, right? So, that that's a whole nother level of background screening and vetting as well. So I, I, ha, I have a third party firm that specializes in that and does that. And usually, you know, when you get down to like the final three or four people, that's when you'd run those type of uh, extensive background checks. But again, the vetting and referencing, we're doing that year round. Um, and it, you know, there's no secret sauce to it. It takes a lot of time. You, do, you have to, you know, these people, a lot of these coaches have been through eight, 10 different universities over 20 years. 
So you're calling people that, that worked for them, that worked with them, that they worked for. Um, we're talking to trainers, administrators, strength and conditioning coaches, and you're you're putting a book together on you know what people think about these coaches, and that's it, there is no secret sauce to it. It just takes time and, and a lot of due diligence. Right. So when I when I retain you, do I do I get like a do I get files? What do I get access to? Do you have a computer system or an app mm-hmm. or something? Yep. Well, that's a great another great question. So, I mean, I don't I'm sure you guys are familiar with FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. Oh, intimately um, familiar with. Yes, sir. Yes, oh, sir. Yes, yes, that's my favorite thing. Um, so, listen, a lot of what you're doing with the public school, um, anything that you share, an email, phone, text related to the searches, is FOIAble. So, you know, you got to be real careful there. So, you know, what we do is we just, especially working with the public school, we do a lot of in-person meetings. Um, you know, and, and it's a lot of me sharing my knowledge to them um, in an old-school format of just talking through people, them taking notes, us talking through things. us You know, if they have particular questions that maybe we can't answer or something that's come up, we'll go do our due diligence and report back to them. There's there's not a lot of document sharing, file sharing, hey, this is our database and we're going to give you access to it. It just, with the FOIA rules, um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Hmm, I think that's interesting and kind of gets gets into like this the confidentiality, which I guess is is the greatest thing that you offer it or at least a layering between me as an AD and maybe my boosters or the media or, or whatever you kind of insulate me from from the public, I guess. Um, it, what are some other ways that you try to as best you can kind of deliver on the promise of kind of confidentiality? Yeah, that's probably our biggest challenge these days because, you know, especially if someone involves a large number of people in their search. And it's different. It's hard sometimes because you want to be collaborative. You want to have some of your senior lieutenants involved. And you want to have, a if you have an AD, you want to have a bouncing board where you can just, you know, vent to and vet to and make sure you're thinking the right way. And that's, to be honest with you, quite we're, we're used for a lot of times. But the more times you, the more people you involve in the search, and I've done AD and football searches where there, especially AD, where there's been a 15-person search committee that's ranged from donors to coaches to professors to deans um, to vice chancellors to, you know, uh, trainers, and, and and that's hard because different people have different levels of understanding of things. So you've got to manage all those personalities. Some people have agendas that they want to see that you know would benefit their piece of uh, of the world and the university. So. That's hard. You know, on a football search or basketball search, typically you're dealing with the AD and maybe one or two close confidants. Um, and, you know, it's it's still hard because it, at the end of the day, when you get down to having to schedule interviews and there's travel and everybody wants to tra- fly, fly private and everyone's, you know, the media's trying to track tail numbers and get their best <laughs> guess. And, Guilty as charged. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a big uh, chess game there, if you will. But you've got to get secretaries involved to, to book some of this stuff and you've got to get, you know, other people involved for, you know, compliance and CFO and financial. So even if you try to keep it to a smaller group at times, you have to bring in people and there's a trust element there. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, as an AD, one of the pieces of advice I give to ADs all the time is only bring in people that you need for the search. Um, because keeping that tighter circle is, is essential to, you know, uh, to trying to keep that confidentiality. And the biggest fear around confidentiality is, listen, stuff's going to get out. Media people are very good at their job, and they have relationships with coaches. Because, if you listen, if you contact a coach, and then that coach starts talking to different people about who kind of staff they put together, and they're friends with media, and the media find out. So it's almost impossible to keep it 100% confidential. But what you want to protect is the integrity of the search and then not losing any candidates, right? So if you have a coach out there that says, hey, if my name gets out, I, I'm going to have to withdraw because I've got donors at my current school. I've got my AD, and you know they will not be happy if they understand I'm you know looking at another job. So you know it's it's hugely important if you don't want to lose good quality candidates that you you're mindful of that, right? And sometimes you have to shift your process that you'd like to do a little bit differently when you're when you're going after sitting head coaches that are that are highly visible and. Uh, you know, we've seen that. You've all seen scenarios where that implodes on the school and the word, the word gets out and they can't keep anything quiet. And you've seen, you know, searches done really well. We're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that. And I didn't, I didn't even know they were talking to that guy. Right. That's, that's a hallmark of a good search when 
when the announcement's made and no one had any idea who they were talking to. Is that increasingly common that you have coaches beholden to some sort of agreement with their current position that they have to operate in absolute silence? I can tell you from a reporter's perspective, it feels increasingly, yeah. uh, increasingly common, more so than it did even two or three years ago. Well, yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny. Some, you know, ads are getting savvy to this too, where a lot of them are including in the contracts of their coach. There used to be a stipulation where ads would say, "Hey." Coach, you 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 cannot engage with any other school while employed here without telling me, without giving me, you know, in person or sometimes written consent that you're looking at another opportunity, right? Well, to navigate that around it, the coaches just had their agents do it, right? And so I haven't talked to anyone, you know. They had that uh, that out. Now some agents are writing or ads are writing in there. You or your representation can't talk to uh, other schools, right? So they're kind of trying to close that loop, but. No, I mean, listen. The especially with the the buyouts and the guaranteed contracts. If you're an AD right now, you you have to protect yourself, right? And you protect yourself with a buyout. So if someone comes and gets your coach, you know it's going to cost them a pretty penny to get them. But you also have to protect yourself on and timing. Like the biggest thing that for ADs is they just don't want to be surprised. You know, most ADs would say to their coach, "Hey, if you have an opportunity to go to a, a school that maybe is your dream job, or you know, if you're a Group of Five coach and you can go to the Power Five, or whatever, most ADs are going to be supportive of that, right? Because a lot of these ADs are trying to get to those jobs too uh, in the Power Five. So I think the transparency and the relationship with the coach and the AD is key. And, and most ADs, again, will be supportive of their coaches, but they just don't like to be surprised, right? They don't want to find out through the media, through a search firm, through an agent, that their head coach is looking at a job and they, and they didn't know it. And that's where, you know, sometimes these things get a little sideways. How do you kind of keep ancillary stakeholders at bay, like donors, for instance? How do you kind of keep those people who may not be making the hire, but absolutely either think they are making the hire or at least want, a, you know, a lion's share of credit for it at, you know, at the touchdown club? How do you keep those guys at an arm's length? Yeah, it's hard. Um, I'm a big proponent of engaging these people early. Um, so back to that process. Um, I, I like to tell the AD, hey, listen, give me your list of your top 12, 15 donors, and I'll call them. And I'll talk to them about the process. I'll solicit input on what they think the next characteristics of the coach to be. And a lot of these people just want to feel like they're a part of the process, and they want their their thoughts to be heard. Right Now they know, and, and part of my job is to educate them, hey, you know, once we get going on this, we're going to have to button it up pretty tight. And they respect that. They understand that. But if you give them that upfront opportunity to kind of give you their – give you their two cents, usually that helps kind of keep them at bay. Now, there's certainly ones that have given a lot of money, um, or sometimes they haven't, but feel like they should have, you know, certainly a a bigger role in the search. And that's where, you know, the AD has to come in and kind of set expectations. And and there's been a good track record of searches going bad when when you do that. So, you know, hopefully you can educate them and say, hey, listen, this isn't anything personal. We love you. We love your support. We're going to need your support for the new coach. But, you know, I I don't want to put you as a donor in a bad situation because here's the other thing, too, is if you're sharing intelligence with the donor, guess what's going to happen? All his peers who are donors are going to call him every day. Hey, what are you hearing? What do you know? Right. So that puts them in a bad position, too, because keeping those secrets is very hard. Um, you know, and then, then it upsets other people like, oh, you told donor X, but uh, donor Y didn't wasn't in on the loop. So it's it's a tricky deal. I think the best way to handle it is to be upfront, to to be inclusive with them in the beginning, and then to kind of shut it down and go about your business of doing the search. Right. And and uh, the last kind of question from the two of us before we kind of get into some of the questions that our audience was able to give us is when you have a search that like rubber stamped a guy, when, when you go through the machinations of a search and it ends up being the offensive coordinator that gets promoted, who was the interim coach. You know, in the simplest terms possible, what exactly did you do? What what exactly was the point of me as an AD retaining you if we ended up getting the OC who's been here for four years? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. That's you know, if there's one thing that gets blogged about or talked about was you know, well, you just spent you know forty thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand on the search room, and you hired the guy that we could have told you you should have hired from day one, right? Get that those ones, those ones are interesting, and, I, and I'll tell you, you know. 
there's just a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that people would say, oh, that's obvious or, you know, you just don't know, right? So you've got to do your due diligence on that, call it the internal candidate, your coordinator, or let's call it someone who's got ties where everyone's saying, hey, this, this is no-brainer. you got to go get this coach and bring him back. Um, there, there's, there's circumstances. You don't know what their buyout is. You don't know what their commitment to their current university is. You don't know if there's – a lot of times we run into where there's a family situation. Maybe they have a child who has special needs, and they're coaching at this university because there's a great hospital right there, right? So there's so many things that, that you have to go through to figure out, you know, and then sometimes that just gets you back to what you kind of thought in the beginning. Hey, I, this coach I thought would be a leading candidate, and what it has done is validate your thinking, right? So at the end of the day, you don't want to have gone through uh, – had an opportunity, not gone to the market or gone to a search and just, you know, said, hey, well, I've got my guy here. Um, my offense coordinator, and I'm going to promote him or him. And you know, two years later, it didn't work out, and everyone's sitting here going, "Well, you didn't do a search, or you didn't you didn't test the market. You, we could have got Coach X, Y, and Z, and you just hired from within, right?" So, you know, any any time, I always uh, suggest to a hiring entity, whether it be a president who's looking at maybe an internal candidate for an AD, or 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 a football coach or a basketball coach, you may have the person involved, but already in house, or you may know the person, but you know. To validate that uh, for them too, because when the adversity comes and it will come, you don't want people to go, "Oh, you didn't, you didn't do your due diligence, and you didn't you know, test the market to see uh, who else we could have gotten." So, I think a lot of people that would be my answer to that question on, you know, why. Now, listen, there's going to be some ones where it just makes sense. I mean, Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, okay? Like, <laughs> did you did you really need to do a search there if you knew what you had? All right, and you're like, well, you know, let's let's call it what it is, right? So, um, you know, uh, it, there's there's a couple of guys that are really special in the, in that, uh, you know, you know, you can go to, but but for the most part, you're going to probably recommend going to a search just again to validate um, what your thinking is and to make sure you're making the right move. Because again, let's go back to the thing we started this thing with: how big are these decisions, right? Financially, public relations wise, you know. Uh, um, branding from university if you make the wrong hire it can set your program back you know years and it's hard to recover from so you know what you just want to make sure that you've done everything you can to make sure you're validating what you're thinking on that maybe internal or call it the no-brainer candidate we had a substantial amount of interest in asking questions uh for mr chatlos <laughs> and and what Uh-oh. he does uh we did strip out a good number of you that decided to ask specific questions relative to specific candidates or jobs. Uh, obviously, we we uh, we can't really ask him that. Look, we'd um, love to know who's going to be Florida State's head coach too, but I don't yeah. think Chad actually knows. Right. Um, <laughs> let me start with uh, a couple just more about practice and procedure. So Chris Baines asks, how much easier or harder is it for search firms to access and work with coaches who have an agent versus those who do not? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's, you know, when I work with young coaches, the, one of the questions they always ask me is, do I need an agent, right? And I'll tell you, these days, nine times out of ten, I, I do recommend an agent because they're out there every day grinding on your behalf. When you're coaching and trying to have success and you're out there recruiting, you don't have the time or, you know, uh, ability to, to, to get your name out there and to network and to make sure ADs know who you are and deputy ADs and other people in the decision-making process. So. I recommend having an agent. I recommend making sure you have an agent that aligns with your beliefs and, and will represent you the way that they want uh, you, you want them to represent you in the market. If you're, you know, if you're a, a West Coast offense or air raid guy or an RPO guy, I would say, hey, listen, do you really want to be with an agent that's got a hundred RPO guys? So like, you'll get lost in the shuffle, right? So I, I'm constantly consulting um, coaches on that. Um, I've worked with coaches that don't have agents, and it's it, it can be a little more challenging again because their time constraints. Uh, they're you know practicing recruiting. It's tough to sometimes get them on the phone, um, and then it's also it, it puts them in a different or a difficult position with their head coach too because you don't want your head coach if you're if you're an assistant or a coordinator thinking that you're not all in on what you should be doing there. Um, so working with the agent, we can cover a lot of ground. Um, and so we, we protect the coach, and then when it's time to bring the coach in, you, know, you get the interview phase, then you, they can engage. But you can do a lot of work with the agent prior. So work, I've done it both ways, and it's certainly easier uh, kind of working with coaches who have the agents. 
Right. Hunter Johnson asks us, how many searches can a firm be involved with at once? Um, are there any conflict of interest considerations? And I'm going to tweak a little bit the, the the last part of his question. What's next for search firms? What what are like, is it strength coaches? Is it, you know, is it trainers? Like what's the next frontier for, for search firms? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the first part of that, um, listen, there's di- each search firm has different rules and regulations that they try to follow. For me, I, I learned quickly that I never want to put myself in a conflict of interest situation. So if I'm if I'm working on a football search in the Power Five, I'm, I'm going to do one at a time. Now, could I do that and maybe send one in the Group of Five? Yes, because it's not the same candidate pool. Um, and you know, as long as I have the time and bandwidth to do it, I would take it on. But um, usually in the same category uh, with the same type of level of search, I, I would only do one at a time. Now, some firms have you know, more employees and more bandwidth, and they and they go away from that, and they'll, they'll do do that. But I, I would never want an AD to have any doubts about where my time is being spent and where my my loyalties lie. I don't, you know, hey, you're doing this search, and the same coach is a candidate for both searches. That that can get tricky, um, and I just want to try to avoid that. Um, what was the second part again? Just kind of what's the next frontier for search firms? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, too. The question, the person asking the question is because we, one of the niches we've created in our business is to take it down to that next level. I've helped several um, programs with their strength and conditioning, with uh, coordinator searches. I've done head volleyball, softball, track and field, wrestling. So really, if you're an athletic director and you, you're, you're hiring anyone in a leadership role, whether it be as an administrator, a deputy AD, or head of compliance, or you know, fundraising, or you're hiring a head coach at any, in any sport, for any sport, we're able to kind of dig in and do a lot, uh, offer a lot of services that we do. It's not just AD football and basketball anymore. And some of my, my, my competitors are also starting to do that, but that's one of the things that we've been able to kind of really um, do the last three years is to expand it outside of football, just football and basketball. Uh, I'm going to follow up with a, a question from one of our users, also add on a little bit. Uh, Conley asks, do you have a say in who the coordinators are and how big a part do the coordinators play in the decision? I would add, and, and I'm sure you you have experience in this as well, uh, head coaching candidates I'll often talk to before or after or during the, the interview process and more often than not, they're asked about what that staff is going to look like. And not only, hey, who's your OC and who's your DC, but who's your second, who's your third choice, uh, why, and then also recruiting coordinator as well. I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah, no, I think the answer is yes. We are we are positioned to help not only the new incoming head coach if they, if they want, but also it's a tool for the athletic director. So as I mentioned before, um, you know, in history, a new coach comes on and they build their staff. And as the AD, you're like, okay, then, um, they, you know, they're going to be a university employee, so they'll have to do a university background check. But other than that, if that's the people you want, that's the people you want. I think because of the, 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 the salaries and the guaranteed contracts, multi-year sometimes for these coordinators, you know, some coordinators are on a four- or five-year deal making, you know, two, two and a half million um, a year. So I think, you know, for the AD to be comfortable, they almost have to treat it like a head coaching search for a lot of these staffs. They have to make sure that, that and, and it's a protection for the head coach. It's not, hey, I don't trust my head coach to bring in good people. It's, hey, we're, we're, we're spending $20 million in our football program, and we're bringing in, you know, 100 people uh, across the, the staff. Like, we got to make sure we're bringing in good people and that the culture and the mission and, and everything of the uh, values of the university are in line. So um, we're, we're getting pulled into a lot of more, uh, more of that just because, of, again, the visibility, especially for football and basketball. And then obviously like the re- re- recruiting and some of the stuff you're seeing in basketball with the, uh, the pay-for-play pay for stuff and, and everything that's going on out there. Like ADs lie awake at night you know, wondering who is going to break a rule on their one of their coaches, right, and how they're going to handle it and – uh, again, the visibility is, is so much more out there um, on what's going on um, with social media and, and people feeling like they have access to, to to news and they create news. In fact, they create news themselves on their social media. So, um, so yeah, we are getting pulled into that more. And I think it's again not just a protection for the head coach, but also the athletic director, who's you know committing again millions of dollars for these staffs. 
Yeah, and uh, Trey has a question. He asks, why are FCS coaches seemingly so relatively undervalued for FBS jobs? Um, and are, are there specific metrics you tend to value highly in candidates? Uh, and and I kind of want to tack onto that. Are there coaches that sort of are kind of lost in the shuffle, like coaches at HBCUs uh, or, or other minority coaches? What are what are search firms able to do to kind of surface those guys? Yeah, it's great. All great questions. And I, I mean, it's kind of appropriate for me. I was fortunate enough last year to work on the Kansas State football search, and they hired an FCS coach and Chris Kleiman, um, who's, who's off to a good start there at Kansas State. Um, you know, there's different schools of thought on it. I think you have to look at, you know, some, some people will say winning is winning. And if you can win at the high school level and the junior college level or the FCS level, You've got a system and you've got a process and it's working. That it's it's transferable to the Power Five level, right? Uh, I think I would say that it depends. It depends on the conference. It depends on the resources. Um, a lot of times, to answer the, the the person's question, why there's hesitancy in dipping it down into a smaller division is the the resources and the the resource management, the coaching and staff management at the Power Five is nothing like being at the FCS level, right? So, a lot of coaches will struggle. Because they don't know how to, they've never had experience doing it. They've never had experience in managing a $18 million budget and paying coordinators a million dollars and you know flying on private planes to go recruit. You know, if you're you're in the FCS, you're getting in a bus and you're sometimes in your car and you're driving school to school and you're recruiting, right? So, I think uh, resource management, leadership management are the things you have to assess when when looking at coaches from smaller programs. Now, you know, again, I think. There, there is no formula that says, oh, okay, well, if you went to North Dakota State and you won national championships, then you can automatically bring it to the next level. I don't believe that. I think each person is different. You've got to um, do your due diligence on them. You have to you know, find out what they're about, what, the, what their philosophy is, how they can recruit. With Chris Kleiman, I think you know, certainly the AD had, had worked with him there and had comfort in, you know, in, the, in the research and due diligence. So we, we did. We felt the exact same way. I mean, this guy is a proven leader and winner, and his philosophy would – you know, back to fit, like his philosophy and his, his culture, he was a fit for Kansas State. It was almost like kind of a, a Bill Snyder disciple, if you will. But, you know, now if we would have tried to take him to Florida State or some of the other open jobs right now or USC, would it have been a fit? Maybe not. All right. So but for him and that opportunity, it was a natural fit. So um, I, I think there, you know, to answer the question again, too, is, is why is there, is there, is there some hesitancy is that, um, you know, there there and I tell these to coaches all the time. You've got hundreds and many thousands of coaches competing for tens of jobs, if you think about it, right? So, your other part of your question was, how do you get? How do you, if you're a coach, how do you get in on these searches? It's hard. Uh, that's why you, you know having a good agent, um, having a, a great coaching tree where you've come from and you've you've had great mentors and great coaches that people respect, being at programs uh, that have displayed a consistent form of winning. Um, I use the example all the time when I talk to people about Jim Harbaugh. You know, he was a, a coach for the Raiders. He obviously had a big name for being in the NFL and his father's uh, coaching tree and lineage and his brother. He took the head job at USD, University of San Diego, right? He probably could have been a coordinator, a big-time coach at a bigger program, but he wanted to do it and, and, and build a track record and come up. So he did it there. He did it at Stanford. He did it at the Niners, right? So, you know, I think that that track record of turning around struggling programs – uh, and creating winners, I think that's probably the number one indicator. If you if you if you said that, so so if you're a coach at any level and you've been at multiple places and you've taken a program that struggled and, and and shown that you can turn around and win, that's a that's a tremendous indicator. It's not a, a potential. It's not a uh, forecasting. It's an actual fact. You've been at these schools and you've turned them into winners. So I think you know, especially if you're looking at coaches from smaller schools, that's that's what you're going to want to see. I mean, Chris Creighton's done a hell of a job, the guy at Eastern Michigan, and he's been at smaller brands his entire life, and all he's, all he's done is win games, right? So that's a guy I mean, from smaller schools that is probably going to get a chance. That's that's very funny because I was sorting through questions, and there were there were questions specifically about Chris Creighton and overcoming. So let me I'll ask you that real fast before we get to our last question. Overcoming uh, perception of record was, I, I believe, the question. We saw a couple of those, and Creighton was used specifically as an example because Eastern Michigan, as everyone knows, not the easiest place to win at. Yeah, no, I, again, I think you, it, it's all relative, right? I mean, if a guy 
if a guy takes over at, you know, you know Eli Drinkwitz right now t- taking over at App State, which has a traditional winning. Uh, a coach that's going to replace Coach Climate at North Dakota State, traditional winning, right? It's like now, now it's, it actually becomes a little bit harder to figure out, well, what's you, what's the system, what are you bringing to the table? Because there has been that tradition. When someone takes over at a program that has traditionally lost and turns it around, I mean, it's a lot easier to attribute that turnaround. Um, so that's where it just, you know, each, each scenario is different. Um, but again, Chris, you know, smaller school, you know, uh, Drake, you know, doing what he did there and not certainly in Eastern Michigan. That's, that's a great sign of, you know, and, and, and then the other part of it too, is I, I talked about resource management. I think, you know, seeing how coaches have managed resources, I mean, a guy, like look at a guy named Will Healy, right? Um, they, I mean, they didn't have enough footballs to practice at Austin Peay sometimes. <laughs> like, he'd have to go to the sporting goods store and find a football that he could fill with air. So, you know, you know, now he's at UNC Charlotte, and he's, he's had a really good first year, right, because of, you know, just who he is as a coach, his, the energy and passion he brings, his system, how smart he is, how hard he works. So there's great coaches at smaller schools, and that's, that's again, part of our job is to kind of mine for those and, and you know, work hard to figure out who those are so we can alert them, alert our ADs and clients to those people. Last question from Ike Piggott. Uh, it's a two-part question. Do you see the rumors flying around this time of year and wonder where people are getting this information? And uh, at which times have you seen, quote, ironclad inside knowledge that just made you laugh? Well, you just described every day of my job, really. Um, <laughs> my, my, my favorite quote right now is three unnamed sources. Uh, I, I think that's all you need right now to put a story out there is the, just the term three unnamed sources. Um, I, I, I'm disappointed in the, the lack of accountability. Um, now, let's listen. It's, it's one thing for someone to tweet and blog and, you know, not have a skin in the game or not being it's not their profession but when you're a a a paid member of the media and it's your profession at least i thought to you know report the news accurately with factually based information it's disappointing to see everyone is so trying to be the one that breaks the news and conditioned to get clicks and you know negative press sells and you know there some of the people are paid on clicks a lot of people are paid on clicks right so you know, what I think that has incentivized is people doing whatever they need to do to get those clicks. And it's it's unfortunate. I, I've been a part of many searches where you just see something printed and reported that isn't even remotely close to the truth. I mean, I, I had one recently where someone said a coach and, and someone had met in, in this state. And, I mean, they were both – one was out of the country and one was somewhere else. Like, it was just like, <laughs> you know – Where's the accountability, right? And it's frustrating. I think you know you got to be careful in my line of work, and certainly as an AD, though you got to have thick skin. You got to know it is what it is, and these people are paid to to kind of do that. And um, and no one's really holding them accountable right now. So I don't I don't see them getting getting any better because um, I haven't seen any really any payback for for reporting the wrong news or breaking the wrong headline. I mean, when it when it's a big time you know deal, and whether it's you know an ESPN or whatever, and it's you know, it's broken and it's uh, proved false. I have seen some retractions and, and things like right. that. But day-to-day for the stuff that we do, this stuff's not, not going to be retracted. Well, uh, we do our best not to issue any retractions, and we're, we're, we're decent at it, I'll put it that way. Uh, Chad Jetlows, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, it's, uh, we, we are more than grateful to see what it's like in another, another area of this process as we get into December and things get really crazy. So we know you're very busy. We appreciate it, and, uh, and thanks again, and go Navy. Oh, yeah, beat Army. Appreciate it, gents. Thanks, Chad. Richard, we learned a lot. Yeah, I I learned a lot. He was good. He was real good. Um, I I think the I think the biggest thing that I learned in that honestly is not is that it's it's not about holding boosters at bay or at an arm's length with the search. But when he started talking about how yeah we kind of like call boosters and and talk to boosters and. And boosters kind of just want to be want to be patted on the head a little bit and say, "Hey, you're included that, in the search man. firm now, or, or in the search process now." That was, I think, one of the most interesting things I thought he said. That was that was one of my favorite things, but only because uh, not to show our cards, but I've done that before. Um, oftentimes, boosters who don't have the information that you're looking for or won't even be privy to it before you, it's still good to maintain those relationships. 
because they still um, they operate in those spaces with much more frequency and passion than you do. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. The, the thing that stands out most to me is that, of course, these things exist. And he, he I think he, I don't want to say cop to it because that sounds bad, but of course these search firms exist because these are mega million dollar decisions. And, um, you know, obviously he's advocating on behalf of his profession. He's got a ton of amazing credentials, but he, he puts forth a really good argument and that now these are $50 million decisions. They're $100 million decisions. And so that got me thinking as he was talking, Richard, when you get a, a film greenlit in Hollywood, it's, it's almost never one person unilaterally making the decision, right? It's yeah. th- this idea that the athletic director is just going to check yes or no, that doesn't happen, right? There's boards, there's committees, there's a ton of cooks in the kitchen, all right? Obviously, the same thing goes in business and politics. So as college football becomes more and more expensive, I think it makes a ton of sense that it's just not one athletic director uh, pulling the trigger on on hands down the most expensive decision he'll ever make in his career. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that decry the um, businessy corporate nature of college sports, but I mean, this is this is it. You you know you you've got to rise with the tide or adjust with the tide, or it will bowl you over. Would it roll you over? Well, you know the answer to that question. Well, that's one university not looking for a coach at present. Of course, you never know. Might lose to Auburn this weekend. Uh, Richard, I will see (laughs) you for a Thanksgiving edition of the Tasting Menu with a little bit of SPAPN in there. Happy Thanksgiving. Stuffing's the best side. Oh, my. I can't leave it on that. Are you serious? (laughs) Wow. Controversial takes. Also, turkey must be fried. Okay. Thank you. All right. God bless one and all. We will see you next week.